A part of me did not want to put that slide together. If your Bibles are open, we're in Luke chapter 8. We're picking up where we left off. This would be part 3 in our study of the book of Luke, and so appropriate with the rising tide uh, of evil that's going on, and not that evil is new in the world. It certainly has been around, and and Jesus encountered some of the worst uh, in history under the Roman Empire. Uh, But we're picking up where we left off with verse 26. If you're visiting with us and you don't have a Bible, simply raise your hand, and one of our ushers will be glad to bring you a Bible. Please bring uh, whoever has their hand raised up a Bible. Uh, And we're in Luke chapter 8, again, starting with verse 26. Uh, This is the third part uh, of our uh, time through this 8th chapter, which is a rather large chapter of 56 verses. And reading from verse 26 through 39... And I'll start here in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee. And when he stepped out on the land, there he met a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. And he wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with you, Jesus Son of the Most High, I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man, for it had often seized him, him, and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles, and he broke the uh, the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. Jesus asked him, saying, What is your name? And he said, Legion, because many demons had entered him. And they begged him that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. Now a herd of many swine was feeding on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them to enter them, and he permitted them. Then the demons went out of the man and entered the swine and ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told in the city what had ha- and in the country what had happened. And they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed. And in his right mind, and they were afraid. They also, they also had seen it told by them what means he had been uh, demon-possessed was healed. Then the whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadareans asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. And he got into the boat and returned. Now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. Let's pray. Father, we ask for the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Jesus, we know you're the only hope for this dark world. You're the only one that has the power and the command over the forces of Satan. And Lord, we ask now your spirit that changed this man, Lord, that your spirit that has changed us would speak now mightily. Lord, that uh, I would not be heard, but rather you would be heard and you alone would be glorified. For it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. What a scene we have here. If you're with us last week, you'll recall, matter of fact, it's recorded in the other three synoptic gospels in Matthew, in Mark, and here in Luke. You may remember what took place just before this. Before this, 
before they land at this place on the opposite side of the Sea of Galilee, which would be opposite of what is today modern-day Tiberias. Tiberias would be on the uh, west side, and this would be on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus had commanded the disciples to cross to the other side. Remember, they were in the boat? And while they were in the boat, a violent storm arose, and they were all petrified and scared they were going to die. And what was Jesus doing in the boat? See, Jesus isn't afraid of anything. I get afraid of a lot of the things I see going on. And then I have to run back to the Lord. But Jesus is sound asleep. He gets up and remember what he does. He tells the wind and the waves to what? Be completely still. And they were amazed. But he just took on and commanded all of nature, which of course he created. And now he's going to confront the supernatural demonic world of which some people don't believe exists. But oh yes. It absolutely exists, and Jesus is going to confront it face on. He calmed the winds and the waves as he heads over. Now he will approach this land. And he, you know, with Jesus, there's no accidents. Hmm. Of all the places he could have land, he makes sure the boat goes directly to a spot where there is violent demonic activity in the form of in this case, two men. Uh, Mark tells us there was a second man. Uh, Luke talks about the one who is apparently more the dominant, does most of the speaking, but two demonic men. And Jesus heads the boat directly to where he knows they will be. You know, the Lord Jesus, he doesn't go away from trouble. He heads directly into it because he's the only one that can fix it. If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word, When Jesus Shows Up. When Jesus Shows Up. And we'll look at three things from the text this morning. Delivered, directed, and devout. Delivered, directed, and devout. Verses 26 through 29, we see this deliverance that takes place uh, they sail to the opposite side. He, I love verse 27. Oh, there's something about it. Sometimes the, the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will write something, and there's something powerful in it that even short of having any other background detail, there's something powerful in this statement. Look at verse 27. When he stepped out on the land. When he stepped out on the land. Whatever Jesus does, when he walks through it, when he reaches out and touches someone, when he steps his toe on the land, anything can happen. He stepped out of the land. This simple phrase, anywhere Jesus shows up, is a candidate for the miraculous. Anywhere he shows up, is a candidate for the miraculous. Only the Lord Jesus could walk in to a host of terrorist camp, not a single bullet touch him, and preach, and everyone gets saved. He's a candidate, or he's at any place is a candidate because he shows up. A place to see chains broken wherever Jesus shows up. A place to see the rescue from the darkness 
wherever he shows up. Anywhere the Lord Jesus shows up is a candidate for the miraculous, for the powerful. Jesus enters this area. Uh, I don't know if we have a picture uh, of, up on the screen, but if we do, uh, if we don't, yep, here we got one. This was uh, when we were in Israel uh, last year. This is exactly the area that Jesus sailed to. Um, uh, we were riding a bus right across that area. There's a road there. You can't see it. And then if you look back west, you're looking at Tiberias on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. But this is the area. The hills are very steep. And then we'll get to the herd of swine and all that stuff, how they would run down that. Uh, but this is the area. And you can't see here because... Uh, well, I'm too far back out on a, we're out on a boat in the Sea of Galilee, but there are caves all in that area, which were the tombs. Uh, they, a lot of times the, they didn't have to actually carve some of these tombs. They were already there with caves, and other times they would carve them because uh, the rock there being limestone, you could chisel out and make yourself tombs. But this is the area uh, that these two men, although Luke uh, talks about one of the men, but there was two demonic men uh, that Jesus encounters there, and this is the area. But you can take that down. Uh, but he steps into this area, uh, which has been dealing with this uncontrollable man and his demonic sidekick, the two of them, uh, for some time. Uh, the, as I mentioned, the one that Jesus starts to dialogue with, uh, actually they come to him first. If you see, it says when he stepped out on the land, uh, and that a certain man from the city uh, comes and talks to Jesus first and says, you know, what did we have to do with you? Why have you, what have, uh, have you come to torment us? So as Jesus steps onto the land, they immediately in the demonic realm recognize who he is and they come towards him. And Jesus begins to dialogue with the one that's probably the dominant of the two. And it's this man that Jesus is talking to that he's going to change him forever. No one would have expected that if you looked at the scene. No one that had been avoiding the area. You know, if you and I uh, were in the area, we'd have been like everybody else. We would have gone way out of our way, even if there was a short path cut through that could have gotten through. We'd have said, don't go there. There's two men. They don't wear any clothing. According to the other Gospels, they cut themselves with sharp rocks. They're violent that no chains can hold them. They're violent. They will kill you. They will tear, literally tear you in pieces just like a wild animal. Now, Jesus walks straight towards them. You know, imagine the disciples. They were afraid out on the sea. And they're like, this is the longest night ever. <laughs> we made it through that. Here's these two wild maniacs, full, I mean, with superhuman strength, coming towards Jesus, and Jesus is just walking like it's another day, right towards them. But then they would see what would take place. But before we look at what Jesus does here, this man's life, we get something out of the text here uh, that's incredibly telling. He wore no clothes. Verse 27, he did not live in a house, but he lived in tombs. If you're taking notes, three characteristics from verse 27 here that his life was reduced to. This man who was filled with demons, his life was reduced to three things from the text. Darkness, 
destitute and deaf. Darkness, destitute, and deaf. Darkness, well, he was full of demons. We'll look at the, the measure of that fullness in, in a few minutes. But full, of de- full of demons, full of darkness, no light, self-destructive. Only demons would you know, make you cut and destroy your own self, uh, hurt your own flesh. When there's no one else to hurt, you'll hurt yourself. When there's nobody else left to hurt, the darkness will say, hurt yourself. When everyone else avoided these men, there was no one else to have violence against, so they would just have it against each other and in themselves. You see so many people that end up committing suicide. The darkness uh, was always wherever they were at, and finally, it finally takes them down personally. Not just everyone else around. Destitute. No home. No clothing. You know, Satan tries to paint a picture. This is the real picture, by the way. Satan tries to paint a picture that looks like the front of People magazine. Right? Follow me and you'll have it all. And really, it's darkness. You might have a home on earth, but you have no home in heaven. The end, Peter says, is reserved for the blackness of darkness. Those that go the way of Satan and follow him and never turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, never give their lives to Christ. Satan never paints a picture. He never has a sign that says, this way to torment blackness forever burning in hell. The sign says, this way to wealth, enjoyment, pleasures. Satan's not a fool. These men didn't just wake up like this one day. They were drawn into demonic activity by the pleasures of their own flesh. At some point, they had given themselves over to false false religions, following the things of the world, and eventually they were fully overtaken. And how did the enemy leave them? Destitute. They were living in tombs. The third point here, death. Living among death. They were already dead. And by the way, before you and I came to Christ, we were dead too. According to Ephesians 2.4, we were dead in our trespasses in sin. We were as dead as the tombs that they were hanging out with. And Satan wants all people, everyone. He wants everyone in darkness. He wants everyone destitute of a home in heaven. And he wants everyone to live the second death forever. The lake of fire. That's where Satan's going, and he wants everyone else to join him. They're spiritually dead. They're walking among the dead. They're living among the dead. I mean, can you imagine you want this? Where do you live? I live in a graveyard. I hang out among the tombs. Of course, they didn't have these kind of conversations with people. No one went anywhere near them. They were finally, they had overpowered people so many times, but they finally at least had gotten them to drive them out into the wilderness on there on the banks of the Sea of Galilee, their own place, hang out in the tombs, rip up tombs if you want, pull corpses out, do whatever you want, but leave the community alone. They're exactly where Satan wants them to be, and really they're exactly where Satan wants everyone to end up. It's a picture of the future hell that the dead will be there forever living among the dead, but actually not fully dead, actually alive, in torment, in blackness. But I love that Jesus comes on the scene here. Because in Matthew twenty-two thirty-two, 32, Jesus says this statement. 
And you have to love it, especially if you love the Lord. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. Amen? See, our Savior is not the God of the dead. He conquers the grave. He doesn't stay there. These guys made their home there. Jesus, three days later, conquered the tomb, left the tomb, and he leads us out of the tomb, not only the tomb of death, but just the former aspects of our life of darkness, of destitute of the truth, destitute of any real life in us. This man, with other people, he was extremely violent. Over in Matthew's gospel, Matthew refers to him as exceedingly fierce. Exceedingly fierce. Nobody would come near these men. People were petrified of them. Satan, by the way, rules this world with fear. This is what's going on in the Middle East. Satan wants to strike fear in every single person. The Lord Jesus says, where perfect love is, it casts out fear. Jesus comes to cast darkness out, comes to cast fear out. The enemy is always trying to be imposing death and fear and violence on the world. Uh, by the way, the demonic world is as violent and fierce as you can possibly imagine. If you study anything in history, you look at the cannibalism that was taking place in the Fiji Islands before missionaries got there. Darkness, I, I can't even tell the stories. They actually make me ill when you read them. You can't even believe. If, everyone, if you ever have anyone say, why do we bring the gospel people? They're happy where they're at. No, they're not. What, that, that you could have said that about the demoniacs. Say, Jesus, why are you bothering them? They're enjoying them. They, they love living in the country. They love living out among nature. They don't have to wear clothing. It doesn't seem to bother them when they get a cut. Matter of fact, they give themselves cuts. No. Wherever the Lord sends his servants is to deliver people from oppression from violence, from wickedness, down through the ages, from torture, from executions, from crucifixions, from stonings, from hangings, from cannibalism, from the worship of demons. The practice among all those pagan lands was drinking human blood. I mean, all of these things. You're like, who comes up with this stuff? Well, the heart's deceitfully wicked, and who can know it, number one. And you take a deceitful heart with a demonic spirit, and you've got the recipe for full-blown wickedness at every level. And this is what was taking place in these men, and people stayed far away from them. By the way, demonic activity, uh, it is more observable in other parts of the world. We have Lee and Zach are here with us today. I guarantee you they can tell you things that they have seen in India that is clearly demonic. You can see it in the eyes sometimes. Uh, you'll see it in the behavior and the actions. I'm positive we have seen it uh, when we've gone into the prison ministry, which we'll be in tonight. Uh, you know, the demonic activity is alive and well around the world, but it's more alive in the United States than most people realize. A lot of the things that you see, you'll read an article and you'll be like, what in the world? Folks, there's a lot of demonic activity in this country, and I believe it's rising. And as the American church is lukewarm and not preaching the gospel and not teaching the whole counsel of God and not reaching out, it'll rise even more. Because where light is absent, the darkness will get that much heavier. 
It takes Jesus to come and drive the darkness out. No one else had changed this area. It took Jesus coming in. I was reading a couple articles in the last two years. One of them I read just, uh, I'd say, two months ago. A teenager, I can't remember, he's 17, 18 years old. I'll leave out some of the details because the children we have here, but it took place down in Florida. All I can tell you is the police said when they, he had actually just, he, they could see him through the window just destroying this house inside when they got their hand, he had the strength of many superhuman men is what their description was. They couldn't believe this wiry teenager was tossing officers around like they were nothing. They had to use everything. I think, I can't remember that one. A couple of them, they've ended up having to shoot to kill because they couldn't, the tasers didn't work at all. No impact whatsoever. Demonic activity is here, it's in our own country, it's in our prison systems, it's in the gangs, it's in this country, it's in the drug culture. Uh, I never, uh, forget, uh, never uh, forget when I heard uh, one particular man, uh, he was uh, into deep Hindu, he was actually fairly high ranking in Hinduism, and he would go into these deep trances when he was in India, uh, and he would actually see these blue fierce-looking creatures in his demonic trances. And he didn't know what they were. He, he just knew that when he went into these trances, he would see these demonic blue creatures, although he didn't describe them at the time as demonic. He thought they were just some kind of gods. And then he got to New York City, and he was going around, and he had come to Christ. He got saved. He was witnessing to the drug addicts in New York that were pumping themselves with heroin or crack, and he was talking to them, winning some of them to Christ, and they would tell him about their hallucinations, and they would describe these blue creatures that were exactly the same as he saw in his demonic Hindu trances. It's alive and well in America, too. Jesus can see it, even though the rest of the world likes to make Satan look like a little red pitchfork guy. And who doesn't enjoy Halloween dressing up like him in this country? And all the other outfits that are demonic. And so the enemy, he's got... He's got the rest of the world actually petrified or worshiping that, and he's got America's thinking it's a cartoon strip. Which one is worse? I would say they're equal. Because on the one side, he has this side completely see, hey, I don't exist. You can have fun at Halloween. It's no big deal. It's just fun. Uh, I'm a little pitchfork guy. I don't even exist at all. And the rest of the world, deep in it, these guys... They knew, in this particular man, that the demonic realm was real and they were filled with these demons. This man that Jesus is talking to, what does he do next? Jesus, in verse 29, they're asking, if you come to torment me, we're going to look at that in just a second, why they would even ask such a question. Uh, But Jesus says to them, uh, he cast out, in verse 29, uh, he cast the unclean spirit out of the man, Jesus simply says, get out. Isn't that great? Out now. Your time in this physical house is over. Get out. Isn't it great when Jesus says, it's your days with that person are over, I've just purchased them. Out. Get out of him now. Unlike us as human beings, Many people, when God makes a command, they shake their fist and say, I will not. Not the demonic world. 
when Jesus gives a command, it is followed. Isn't that amazing? Do you realize how many people actually shake their fist at God? God tells them to repent. They say, no way, I'm not interested. God says, don't do that. I'll do it anyway. Uh, We even ourselves as believers, we sometimes buck our master, don't we? We're foolish enough to say, "Eh, I don't feel like doing that right now. I got other things I'd rather do. Not the demonic world. Once Jesus, first of all, they were petrified when they saw Jesus. These demonic creatures that are so vile, but yet when they saw Jesus, they were petrified. Let me tell you, we need more people that see Jesus in this powerful light. Because a lot of people think Jesus is walking around with long hair. And he's as weak as he can possibly be. That's not the one who's sitting at the right hand of God. Look how they address him. They address him, Jesus, son of the most high God. If you're taking notes, let's look at what these next few verses, starting verse 30, directed. Uh, We looked at the deliverance. Jesus tells out, I'm delivering this man today. He's delivered by my authority. But why did Jesus have this authority? How was it evident to them? If you're taking notes under directed, look at, start looking at verse 30. And Jesus asked them, saying, what is your name? And he said, legion. He, well, obviously Jesus is speaking to one of the individual men here, this one man, and there's a single voice that responds, legion, because many demons had entered him. Now, this is something uh, of the supernatural realm we don't quite understand. There's multiple demons, but there's a single voice doing the speaking. Jesus begins questioning this demon, demons plural, that are controlling this man. And as he asks him what his name is, uh, we need to understand, of course, most of you I know do understand, Jesus already knows the name. He's not asking him because he doesn't know. He's asking him to show the disciples behind him just how thick the darkness is here. More than they could have imagined. More than they could, they may have never even fathomed how many demons could occupy a single person. He's showing them just how thick the darkness is here. He knows the name. Jesus knows the details. He knows every facet of this situation. But his questions reveal this shocking number of demons that are controlling this man. One demon, who's probably the highest ranking among the horde here, is actually doing the speaking. He's the one communicating with Jesus. The response of legion is a term by the, Roman, uh, the Romans for their military unit comprising, guess how many? 6,000 Roman soldiers. 6,000 Roman soldiers would be a legion. In other parts, in other gospels, says our name is legion, for we are many. 6,000. Mary Magdalene, we know in the same eight chapter, if you remember back, a couple of sections back when we did part one of Luke chapter eight, Mary Magdalene was occupied by seven demons before Jesus set her free. Jesus is really good at the business of setting people free from demons, isn't he? Doesn't matter if it's seven or 6,000, it's all the same to him. Isn't that great? Now, not anyone can do this, because over in the book of Acts, a couple of guys tried to cast out demons. Do you know how that went for them? They got the tar beat out of them. 
They're throwing Paul and Jesus' name around like, well, Paul, we know. And the demon's like, Paul, we know. Jesus, we know. You two. And just begin to beat them. Demons are not to be messed with apart from the authority of Jesus Christ. And Jesus speaks directly to them. Whether it's 6,000 demons, we don't know. They use the term legion. We're not positive if they're 6,000, but I'm saying the demons certainly would have understood the Roman culture. They were behind the Roman culture, and they used the term legion, which would infer 6,000. The exact number we don't know, but Jesus, this we do know, he has authority over the demonic world, and they know it too. They know it. They've asked him, what, have you come to torment us? They say to him, uh, please, don't, have you come to throw us in the, uh, into the abyss? And they begged him that he would not command them to go into the abyss, into hell itself. And actually a bottomless pit uh, is, the, is the description here of the abyss. Jesus, we know, he says in Revelation 1.8, he has the keys to death and hell. They know Jesus owned the key. Jesus is not only the Son of God, the King of kings, Lord, he's actually the one that holds the keys to the gate of heaven, but also he is the warden over those that will be cast out in rebellion. And, of course, the angels who had already rebelled against him, these are the fallen angels right here. Now, they know that they have to do whatever Jesus tells them to do. There's limitations to what Satan can do. Remember, even in the story of Job, remember Satan is saying, I want to do this, I want to do... God gives Satan limitations on what he could do to Job because whether it's Satan, who is the highest of the fallen angels, all the way down through the ranks of those that were the demons that work underneath Satan, they all have limitations that Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, can impose at any time. And they know that Jesus has this authority. They're petrified of Jesus. Most people are not petrified of Jesus. That's why you'll hear your coworker use his name in vain like it's no big deal. They have no fear of the Lord. By the way, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I have a healthy fear of the Lord. How about you? I know that my Lord and Savior is my Lord and Savior, but he is not someone to trifle with. He also will be my righteous judge. The demons, they understand this. They know that he is the Lord God. They know they have to do whatever he says. And this is why we must pray when we look at the evil that's taking place in the world. We look at the evil that's taking place in the Middle East. We have to pray because only Jesus has the authority over it all. Amen? He's the only one that has authority. Ephesians 6, 12, it says, For we, that's you and me, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against the powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against a spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places. There is a demonic realm that's behind North Korea. There is a demonic realm that's behind communist Chinese. There is a demonic realm that's behind Islam. There is a demonic realm that's behind Hinduism. And when you see the extremism and putting people to death and the tortures and the killings and all this stuff, it all comes from the demonic realm. But Jesus tells us that he has authority over it all. And that's why we must pray against these things. In 2 Corinthians 10.4, I love this passage. For the weapons of our warfare, 
are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Jesus, you notice he gets off the boat? No semi-automatic guns strapped to his back. No bullets. Disciples, do you have the artillery ready? Because these guys are tough. Do you have all the weaponry ready? Did we outfit the boat? He gets out with no weapons whatsoever because he's got the sword of God in his mouth. He can direct them exactly the way he pleases. Now they ask him, Are you, please don't throw us into the abyss. Why would they say this? Well, some of the demonic, when the, when the angels fell, when they actually rebelled against God, a third of the angels fall away and they rebel against God. I don't know if you've studied this, but some of them are currently already in chains in the abyss or the bottomless pit, which we don't know exactly where that is, but the scriptures seem to indicate it's also in hell. There's a bottomless pit where many demons are chained right now. Well, why weren't they all sent there? I don't know. God knows. They were not all sent there, but many were. And these demons had somehow, they were not part of those that were sent immediately to the abyss. They got to spend time on earth and actually try and deceive mankind along with Satan. And so some are there. Many are there. We know that uh, the scriptures tell us, Peter talks about it, that they're reserved in chains. Now, the demons can't do any harm to Jesus one bit unless Jesus allows it. It makes his death on the cross all the more amazing because Jesus, the day that he dies on the cross, he basically laid his authority down because he could have called 10,000 angels. Amen? He could have said the word and every demon was instead, as they're nailing the cross, you can imagine the demonic party dancing around the cross. You ever seen the movie Chronicles of Narnia? You ever seen when Aslan lays down his life? It's hard to watch, isn't it? It's really hard to watch because you realize he has the authority to destroy them, and he doesn't. It's just, it, every, I've watched it, and every time I'm like, get up, and, get up and tear them in pieces. You don't need to do this. That kid was a schmuck, or whatever it is. Or he, he, was, he was doing something he shouldn't be doing. And yet, you and I, we ourselves, we deserve the same thing. And yet, Jesus kind of says, no, no, no. I come to deliver. I come to set free. And the demonic realm, they actually realize Jesus' authority. They know they have to obey. They know they have to do. James 2.19 says, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. We won't see revival until people tremble again under the holy name of Jesus Christ, under the holy name of God. When people have a healthy fear of the Lord and say, Lord, we know you're the creator of all things. You control all things. You'll someday cast Satan and his horde into hell. You own it all. And we bow at his feet. Because someday, according to Philippians, every knee will bow and every tongue 
will confess. Every knee will bow. Someday everyone will know what these demons know. That they might get to live good for a little while, but a judgment day is coming. These demons are not deceived. They deceive people into thinking there's not a judgment coming, but they themselves know. Do you see this insidious nature of evil of Satan? He actually knows the judgment day is coming. His demons know the judgment day is coming, but they continue to whisper in people's ear, there's no judgment. That's that's Christian fantasy. There is no judgment. You're going to do fine. You'll exist when you die. That's what some people believe. You'll come back as a better, uh, in nirvana or karma, you'll come back in a better place. And the demons themselves know it's a lie because they tremble here at Jesus. And they beg the Lord Jesus. They beg him, say, please send us into a herd of swine. Send us into a herd of pigs. And Jesus does. He commands them to leave the man's body. He does allow them to enter into these pigs. Mark tells us that the herd was 2,000 pigs. 2,000 pigs. That's a lot of BLTs right there. 2,000. Now, of course, for the Jewish person, pigs were unclean. The law forbade them to even eat. It's not insignificant that Jesus sends demons into something that is unclean and that was completely detestable to the Lord, at least under the law. It was a picture. It's okay now to eat barbecue, thankfully, because I really like barbecue. Um, But it's okay now to eat these things. But at that time, it was a picture of sinful things. It was a picture of the pagan world. It was a picture of the unclean. It was a picture of the outcast. Even uh, in the New Testament, we see the term that a, a pig returns to wallowing the true proverb, which is also in the Proverbs, wallowing in the mire. You and I are to be clean sheep, cleansed, made white, not pigs that return, sheep that follow a shepherd. And Jesus said, the pigs are also a picture of all those that will rebel against God will spend eternity with the same demonic horde. All those that reject and resist the Lord. Even though he's not willing that any should perish, many will resist, even this own community, which we'll see uh, here as well. Uh, but they enter these unclean pigs, and what do they do? They head them down. You saw the steep hill. They had them straight down and they drown them. This is what Satan wants to do to every single person. He wants to take anyone and drown them completely and take them with him to hell. You guys have heard, I haven't said it in a while, but I used to have a coworker when I was still in the business world. And I haven't said this in a while, but it always, it, uh, it'll be in part of my messages for the rest of my life. Because every so often he would ask me, and remember I started pastoring this church in 2007, And every so often, on a Monday morning, he would ask me, did you send anyone to hell this weekend? And we actually had a good relationship. He was being funny. And I would tell him, as I told him every time, I can't send anyone to hell. They're already going there. What I can do is tell them how to not go there. You and I don't send anybody to hell, unless it would be ourself. We can't send anyone else there, but we can surely take ourselves there. And the only way that happens is to say no to the Lord Jesus and yes to Satan 
and this world and what it has to offer. Because what it has to offer is what the demons do to the pigs, is to drown men completely and to take them to their grave in the same place where the demons are going. The abyss they're speaking of is where Satan wants to take everybody else. Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour, destroy, tear apart. This is what makes the response of the people in the area so sad. How, how do they respond? You've got to say, well, they must be thrilled because the demonic, violent men that were a real problem for the community, tormenting anyone that went anywhere near them, and boy, but you were afraid, to, you made sure every door was locked, the windows, what if the two tomb dwellers decide to rip open our doors tonight and grab one of the kids? You would think that they would be worshiping Jesus, thank you for doing this, and what's their response? Well, they weren't happy about the 2,000 pigs. That was a big source of income right down the drain, but not for everybody, just for the group uh, that owned them. But they, when they heard about it, they went and sold everyone in the city, they told everybody in the country, and when they all came out, they see this man clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus. They have in their presence the one who can transform their entire community. Everyone, Jesus can heal anyone there of sickness. Jesus can give them all peace. He can deliver them from their own false idolatry and their own false gods and their own sexual immorality and everything else that would be uh, possible or present in the area. He can deliver them from addictions. He can do all this stuff. Their response, they, he, they've seen the only one that not only was able to control these men and not using change, or at least the one man anyway, we don't know what happened with the other man, but Jesus has him sitting there as the model citizen now. And their response is, they ask him to leave. And the whole multitude in the surrounding regions asked him to depart, for they were seized with great fear. If you're taking notes, our last section, devout. Jesus wants to set everyone free. In Luke chapter 19, verse 42, Jesus speaking of Jerusalem, he says, If you had known, even you, especially in this day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus said, if you had known that I was in your village, I could have set all of you free. You think this man was really, really in bondage, but all of you are. That's the picture. Jesus says, this man is the archetype. Yeah, it's obvious that he's in bondage, but the rest of you are in bondage too. But I came to set all of you free. I desire to set all of you free. But had you known that I would have set all of you free, you would have begged me to stay. Instead, you asked me to leave. You know, and when, when the Lord knocks on a person's heart, you know, we've had many people that came here once. Some of you might today come here one time. If you don't know the Lord, we've had people that have come here one time. I know they were under conviction. I know the Lord was drawing them unto himself. I know he was calling them himself, and they put it off another day and say, 
I'm going to depart, or you depart from me for now, Lord, because I've got big plans this week, or this year, or at least for the next 10 years, or for the next 20. And when I'm ready, and Jesus says, you know, the Bible says that we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know if we really have another opportunity to say yes, Lord. We don't know if it's today. Jesus said, this day, the things that make for your peace. See, most people, they, they don't really maybe think about peace at all, but they're always trying to find it. And they're trying to find it. They might not put it in those terms, but what they're looking for is peace on their own terms, something that will give them peace if it's enough entertainment, if it's a better job, if it's a raise, if I only had this car, if I only had this, I only had that. And they're under bondage to Satan who is constantly showing them a different way. Oh, try that route. Oh, that didn't work. Try this route. That didn't work. Try this route. And they never find peace. And then when they find the true Prince of Peace, oh no, I'm not doing that because I'm going to lose some friends. And that strikes fear in my heart. I'm not doing that because I might have to say no when everyone else at the office is going to go to such and so place. I'm going to have to look like a fool and say, I can't go there. Oh, no, I I can't do that because God might want my money and my time and my talent. Oh, no, I'd rather stay in bondage to Satan because he lets me do what I want most of the time. Most of the time. Well, I'm not really in bondage to Satan. You know, Jesus says, or the scriptures say, that the whole world's under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world. And he came to deliver not only this man, but also the the community there, but they weren't interested. But this man was. Whether it was 6,000 demons or 2,000 demons, we know, according to Luke, it was many Demons, according to Matthew and Mark as well. Many demons. And what a candidate. Now, Jesus knows what's going to happen before he even takes the boat across. He knows everything's going to take place. He knows how many people are going to accept. He knows how many people are going to reject. But he goes there, and isn't it amazing? He's seeking an evangelist for the region. And he says, I've got a guy in mind. He's full of somewhere between 2,000 and 6,000 demons. He doesn't wear clothes. He's cutting himself with sharp objects. He's terrorized an entire community for some time. And that's the guy I'm going to pick. It wasn't, it wasn't the noble citizen. It wasn't the member of the school board. It wasn't the mayor of Gadara. It wasn't somebody that everyone had great respect for. It was the worst of the worst. And Jesus says, we got a trip to make, boys. I've got someone that's going to be joining your ranks. Can you imagine the disciples looking at this scene? Because after Jesus cast the demons out of this man, he's now sitting there clothed in his right mind. If you're taking notes under devout. He's clothed in his his right mind. Exactly what 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us takes place when God really does a conversion. When people are really saved, I mean truly born again, they change. If you see someone who's never changed at all, they're probably not saved. Because 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new 
creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You know, Jesus has enough power that when he converts someone, there is a change. There's a huge change. It's a mighty change. He doesn't give partial change. It's radical. The man is now sitting there in his own right mind, but he's not only sitting there, he wants to follow the Lord wherever he's going. Jesus is about to leave. He begs Jesus, can I come with you? Can I come with you? Your disciples, can I be one of them? Now, Jesus doesn't, he doesn't tell him he can't be one of the disciples. He just says, I've got a different region for you. Disciples, I've got a purpose for them. All, God has a plan and purpose for all of us. When he saved me in June of 1995, I had no idea that I would be called to pastor a church at that time. Did not cross my mind. Didn't cross my mind when I took a job transfer, which was the Lord directing me from Charlotte, North Carolina to Richmond, Virginia. I still, God had me completely oblivious to that because I might have ran the other direction. The Lord says, I've I got a place for you. And this is where you're headed, and this is what you're going to do. And he has one for you too. The man that Jesus redeems here, they cast off his chains, brings him out of darkness, clothes him in his right mind, says, I've got something for you. It's not the same as for Peter. It's not the same as for John. It's not the same as for Matthew. I've got something for you, and it's right where you live. You know, I love... Uh, I love that, you know, we got Zach and Lee and they're in the mission field and uh, my sister Dana and her husband Eric in the Philippines and, and yet I know the Lord has called me personally to Richmond. And there's plenty of darkness in Richmond. I'm going to read a letter as I come to a close that will prove to you there's a lot of darkness in Richmond. And yet there's many people that God has said, you need to get in the boat and go to the other side because I have called you to go elsewhere, somewhere else. The question is, where has Jesus told us to go? Are we going to be listening to him? Jonathan Edwards says, a true love of God must begin to delight in his holiness. When we believe God is holy, we are changed and will delight to be in his presence. This man knew darkness, and now he loved to be in the holy presence of the Lord Jesus. And he begs that I just want to stay with you. The person that's willing to stay with Jesus is going to do great things for Jesus. And Jesus is saying, no, no, I want you to return to your own house and go and tell what great things God has done for you. What great things God has done for you. When the Apostle Paul was called by the Lord and Jesus uh, said to him, if, uh, he, told, he told Paul that I'm going to send you to deliver people from darkness and from the power of Satan in Acts chapter 26, that I'm going to send you to deliver people. This man had this testimony. He didn't just have testimony of like, yeah, I used to be a sinful kind of guy. I used to be a party animal. He used to say, no, no, I was filled with thousands of demons. And he had plenty of eyewitness accounts to back him up. He would say, can I get a witness? And everyone would say, yeah, we were petrified of you. Everywhere he goes, Jesus says, I'm sending you back out. First of all, they're going to be shocked to see you dressed. They're going to be shocked to see that you're not throwing people across the bar room. They're going to be shocked to see that you are gentle and just coming and saying, can I tell you all about Jesus of Nazareth? Can I tell you all about the Messiah? What a candidate. His resume was horrible. But Jesus takes really bad resumes and turns them into evangelists, 
Christian moms and Christian dads and Christian co-workers and Billy Grahams and C.S. Lewis's. He takes, it doesn't matter. Jesus takes anybody and does the miraculous anywhere he steps his foot, any person that he touches. Remember that Jesus had said about the two creditors, I mean, the two debtors, the one who had been delivered of the big debt was going to love much. This guy, this man, loved Jesus much, and he was delivered from much, and his, and his um, passion for the Lord, the Lord was now going to use him in a great way. And there's so many men and women that God wants to deliver in this same way. Tonight, I'm going to close with this letter tonight, uh, but j- I just got it this morning from Aaron. Uh, tonight, we're going to be going back into Bonaire. And when we go into Bonaire, we know that these kids have been under, you know, these kids are in jail for, you know, violent crimes, all kinds of different things. We know they're from families where there's no mom or dad in the house, or at least only one parent in the house, drugs. Many of their parents have gone to prison too. Uh, And the Lord wants to break not only the chains of darkness in their life, but generations of it sometimes. Listen to this letter. Um, The question on the application question says, Have I repented and trusted Christ? Listen to what this young man writes. I prayed and asked for forgiveness. Boy, does he nail it here. This is so many people. He said, I prayed and asked for forgiveness, but had not repented. Wow. That's, That's theology that's accurate. I prayed and asked for forgiveness, but I had not repented. Tonight I will pray and repent. Do you see the difference? When Jesus comes to set people free, they have to say, yes, Lord, I want to be set free. Yes, Lord, I am willing to turn from my sin. This is the other thing that he was given an assignment uh, because we write letters to the kids. Read John 1, memorize John 1, verses 12 through 13, and pray for one another. This is what he wrote. Thank you. I really appreciate this. Can you please pray for me? I'm going through a stressful time. I was recently involved with gangs. I did some things that I regret. I don't want any part of the gangs or violence anymore. I want to get right with the Lord. Because of the things that I've done, recently other residents are making threats to harm me. I just wonder if you guys can pray so, I can, uh, um, so God can watch over me and protect me and take me away from evil. That's the last statement he says. He says, I want peace. There it is. It's the same 2,000 years ago. Satan has his grips on people And when they realize, this is a real story, this is a real kid, 16, 17 years old, when they realize that Satan wants to destroy them, but God wants to save them, repentance is reasonable. Amen? It makes sense to repent. It makes sense to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. This kid's not saying, well, I don't want to do that because God's going to radically change my life and cause me to say prayers now. He knows the violence he's done. He knows the opposition. By the way, Satan wants to f- make him afraid. If he follows the Lord Jesus and follows him and just gives his heart, I've seen it many times. A lot of these kids will fall away from him. But they want to intimidate him right now. And we need to be praying for them. We need to be bringing people to the Lord Jesus because when Jesus shows up, he brings a change. Amen? Let's bow our heads.